It's Glenn Peoples here with a podcast that if you cast your mind back quite some time, you may recall, is called Say Hello to My Little Friend. And it's all about theology, philosophy, social issues, and anything that happens to take my interest at the time. And yes, I am well aware that I've been away for a long time. But every now and then, I will appear. I still exist. I'm just not doing what I used to do as regularly as I once did. The reason that this podcast episode is appearing is because, um, although I'm getting around to it quite late, in December last year, in December 2017, I had the pleasure of speaking to the good people at Marden Road Church of Christ in Hamilton, New Zealand. And I want to share what I said with them, both with my podcast audience around the world and also with them so that they can go back and listen to it again. And the name of the talk is Life is good. So without further ado, let me tell you why (laughs) I say life is good. Shortly before I was born, I'm not that old, a British comedy began to screen on TV here in New Zealand called The Good Life. And it was about a middle-aged couple who decided to escape modern commercialized living and be self-sufficient while continuing to live in suburbia. They wanted to live what the show was calling the good life. And to convince you that I I probably know something about what I'm talking about, I'll tell you something about Greek. That seems to work from the pulpit anyway. I decided to call this talk Life is Good, but I don't mean that kind of life, the kind of life that people are talking about when they say the good life. That's life in the Greek, sorry, in the sense of the Greek word bios. We would transliterate it, uh, B-I-O-S. And that's the life that one lives. And you can read about the life that one has lived in their biography, which starts with B-I-O, which comes from that word, bios. Uh, The Greek word zoe has a similar meaning, the life that you live over time. So Jesus said that he came to give life and more abundantly. You can have more of this stuff. When you see that the New Testament refers to eternal life, that's that word again, zoe, a lifetime that goes on forever. It's eternal life. That kind of life is good too, but that's not what I mean when I say that life is good. When I say that life is good, I just mean that quality of being alive rather than dead. If you like, that stuff that makes you alive. On the day before my heart stops... I will have life. On the day of my funeral, I won't. It's not the life that I live, as in bios, although that will have come to an end as well. 
or the life that I experience as in Zoe, it's the life that my body possesses, which is the reason that I'm standing up rather than lying down. Although when I'm recording this right now, I'm sitting, but you get the point. Life in this sense is sometimes called suke in the Greek New Testament. Life, that stuff that makes me alive, is good. Now you might think, why would Glenn come here to tell me that? Why bother? Of course, life is good. Could anything be more obvious than that? You'd be surprised how often and how easily Christians will deny the obvious sometimes, just like people in general, actually. I'm not picking on Christians. I am one. Some years ago now, when I lived in Hamilton, um, and I comment on the fact that I used to live in Hamilton for those people around the world, because Marden Road Church of Christ is in Hamilton. Uh, Some years ago, when I lived in Hamilton, uh, shortly after I was married, we were at a home group meeting, and it was a social event, not not a, uh, an intense Bible study. Um, and we were watching a Peter Jackson movie starring Michael J. Fox. The movie's called The Frighteners. Um, for what it's worth, if you haven't seen it, I think it's quite good. Um, without going into too much detail about the plot, one of the features of this movie is that ghosts are real. Right? You just have to take that as a given. It's part of the story. And when a person dies, their ghost survives and it the idea is that there is a serial killer who has come back uh, after death to continue in his grisly business of killing people off uh, so that he can get the high score and, and you know be better than all the other serial killers and there's an interesting way that death is depicted i saw a guy in the movie it's not that gory uh, but this guy in the movie gets shot And his body falls to the ground and his soul, I guess you would call it, is still standing there cowering as though he's about to get shot. And he looks around and realizes that his body is dead, but he's still standing there. He hasn't really been harmed. Uh, And then he goes on through the tunnel of light or or what have you. And because we were a Christian home group and it was a Reformed church, and so they were quite interested in talking about theology, as Reformed people are, one of their great virtues, I think, um... And so we were talking about a theology of death. And this woman that I was with, because she was giving me a lift home, we were talking about the movie, and she said something like, truth is, I'm not worried about death. I'm really looking forward to it. I think death's going to be nice. And the gravity of what she said just struck me. I was struck dumb. That does happen sometimes. I'm not always talkative. He was a person... Here was a follower of Jesus, a physically healthy person, openly saying that she was looking forward to her own death. Bad theology can get you into some pretty strange headspaces, but when you hear those words coming out of your mouth, that should be a wake-up call. There are critics of religion who complain about Christians because we minimize the value of this life, and really we can't wait for it all to melt away or be destroyed in some cataclysm. Or, or, or whatever, and get to the other side. We, we just want to die. And I want to say to them, no, no, you've got it all wrong. The Bible describes life as good and death as bad, and the solution is a restoration and glorification of the physical world. And then I, I hear someone make a comment like the one that my friend made, and I, I kind of begrudgingly have to say, look, okay, fair enough. Proceed with your, your criticism of Christians, because this is what some people really do believe. You hear things just as bad, I think, anyway, in the conversations about eternal punishment. Now, I think, as some of you know, (laughs) I make no secret of it, that the Bible is pretty clear about eternal life, that those who are saved through Christ will have it, 
and those who are not won't. And the time will come when they are no more. Right, so there's no like eternal torture chamber or walled off part of eternity where, where the lost suffer forever. I, I don't believe that. And I know not, not everyone agrees with that. There are plenty of people who believe that those who are not saved will live out eternity in that nasty state that I've just alluded to or remorseful separation from God or something. It seems to get milder all the time as evangelicals try not to affirm eternal torment but still want to say that they believe in hell. And they'll tell me, as, as some have, that I'm watering down the doctrine of everlasting punishment because, and hear this, it's a direct quote, it's just not that bad to cease to exist forever. How do I know people who see life and death that way are wrong? When someone says, I mean, there is direct evidence well, you know, when it comes to what the Bible says about hell, but I'm not quite talking about that. How do I know that that attitude to life and death is wrong? It's not biblical. When someone says that they're looking forward to death, well, for starters, I think, and I'm not here to demonstrate this today, but I think the scripture doesn't teach that death is a transition to a better place. I don't think that. I think the Bible teaches that death is a very real thing. You don't live on. We, this person, truly dies. And one day, one day, Christ will return and the dead will be raised back to life, which is when things get good again for those who know Christ. So bad theology is to blame. That's what I think. And I think the same is true of the person who says it's not that bad to cease to exist forever. If they realized that actually Scripture teaches that the lost will cease to exist forever, then they wouldn't feel compelled to bend over backwards and say such strange things. Right? They're only saying it because they're criticizing a theology that says the lost will cease to exist forever. And so they have to say, well, that wouldn't be a, a real punishment. Ridiculous. Of course it's a real punishment. And if they weren't compelled to reject it on theological grounds, then they wouldn't they wouldn't want to, to say such contorted, strange things. But apart from that, if they won't hear what Scripture says directly about the nature of death and about final punishment, what other principles are there in Scripture and in the resources of Christian thought that might give them pause and which remind us that life, being alive, is a good thing in itself? Why is it good? That's the longest introduction ever, but that's really what I want to say to you. I want to talk about why life is good, at least according to a biblical worldview. So number one, I haven't actually numbered them on the script that I have here. So I'll say number one, but I might not say number two and three later. <laughs> Firstly, life enables relationships. When my wife and I were married, we promised to love and care for each other until death do us part. We, we couldn't and cannot make any promises beyond that point because when you take one of us out of the picture there's no relationship that's what death does and the worst thing about loving someone as much as you do when you're married to them is the knowledge that you're going to lose each other one day but of course that's not the only relationship you lose is it whether you're married or not one day you're going to lose all your relationships and that's true of everyone friends lovers role models even enemies and I know that not everyone is convinced of this. I realize that. But death, if it were permanent, at least, even disables relationship with God. Because a relationship takes two. I said if it were permanent, because we know that God raised Jesus from the dead, 
And Jesus promises that he will raise up his followers on the last day. So death is not permanent, right? Death ultimately doesn't separate us from God. That's why St. Paul can talk, talk about uh, being with Christ after death. And we read that death can't ultimately separate us from his love. That's all true. But that's just because death is not permanent. If we stayed that way, we would have a very different outcome. There are some passages of scripture that aren't written with our future beyond the grave and into resurrection in mind. Right? Because when Paul said that that death cannot separate us from God's love, he said that as someone who believed in the resurrection. He had that in mind. But there are some passages that weren't written with that backdrop intentionally in mind. And what those passages say about death is pretty grim. So the psalmist writes in Psalm 115 that the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. It is we, that is, the living, who extol the Lord. And it's the same in Isaiah 38. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you, those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. Or Psalm 6. For in death there is no remembrance of you, in Sheol who will give you praise. The writers didn't have to guard their words so as to avoid giving the wrong impression. They meant exactly what they said. Death is not a doorway to a closer seat with God. It interferes with our relationship with God. Right after saying that the grave does not praise God, the writer of Isaiah 38 says, The living, the living praise God as I do today. Life is the opportunity to relate to God, and that is possibly the greatest good there is. Next, why is life good? Life has potential. Regardless of how I should feel about life and what the greatest thing about life is in practice, the truth is that I just don't want to die because if I die, I lose myself. Right? I mean, I could say all these lofty things like, you know, um, if I die, I will lose the ability to praise God, to have fellowship with God. And that's the greatest good, and I don't want to lose that. So, but, so I don't want to die. But the reality is, I just don't want to die. I don't want to be dead. Because I will lose myself, my thoughts, my reflections, my plans, and so on. I will lose all the natural potential that I have to do and to become. I believe I'll lose those things because it seems intuitively clear to me, you know, I've, I've seen dead people, but even if it didn't seem intuitively clear to me, this is actually what scripture teaches. That might come as a shock to some people. When the psalmist is contrasting the reliability of God with the frailty of man, saying that we should not trust in man but in God, he said something interesting. You might recall in, this, in the creation story of Adam, Genesis 2 says that God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him. And here, in Psalm 146, the reverse happens. It says, His spirit, or breath, departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Right? It's an undoing of Genesis chapter 2. Now, I know some modern translations don't want to say that, and so they say his plans come to nothing. So his plans don't happen. But Abad doesn't really mean come to nothing. That's the Hebrew word. It means to be destroyed or to perish. And eshtonah almost certainly doesn't mean plans. It means thoughts. It's not a common word, but it appears to mean the things that you think. Uh, not thoughts in the sense of plans for the future. That would be uh, machashabah 
where, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, right? Those are the plans when you think about the future. Or chasav, or perhaps another word, but not this one. Not eshtonah. Um, this is a different word. Scripture says that death ends your thoughts. Although it ends your plans too. Yep, it does. Just as in Jesus' story of the man who built bigger storehouses to store all his goods, and then God says, you fool, uh, today your life is over. But your, your thoughts themselves come to an end when you die. It is that temporary time, temporary for now anyway, that time when we hold on to the breath of life that enables us to have that life of the mind. I know some people might poo-poo the book of Ecclesiastes, thinking that it represents an unenlightened human perspective. But I don't think so. I think it represents wisdom. I think I'm still young. I'm only 42. But the older I get, the more I see the wisdom in this book. And one of the things it tells me, and that I take to heart, is the advice that we see in Ecclesiastes 9, which basically says, this is my summary, not a direct quote, Whatever you do, do it well, because there ain't no doing or no thinking or no planning or no wisdom in the grave, and that's where you're heading. Right now, when you're alive, is the time that you have to learn, to express, to think, to grow in wisdom, and so on. When you lose life, you lose all that. Next, death is an enemy. As if all that wasn't enough. Life is what enables relationships and life is what allows any genuine potential in a person. The New Testament talks about redemption from death through the resurrection as a case of being saved from a great enemy. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 says that by becoming one of us and doing what he did, Jesus delivered people who were in bondage to the fear of death. Not their fear of hell or anything else. People just fear death death. I've heard people who want to defend a particular view of hell, again, bending over backwards to pretend that death is not a terrible fate. People don't really fear death. That is hopelessly ignorant of the human condition. Human beings fear death. We don't want to lose our lives, and who can't relate to that? And death is not just our enemy. It's God's enemy, because it is an affront to him the one who creates and gives life. And so in 1 Corinthians, we learn that Christ will reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. And that victory over death is obtained in the resurrection of the saints to immortality. The way that my friend talked about her own death, and other Christians do it too, takes the opposite view. She was looking forward to it, and it was going to be nice. Well, God doesn't think it's nice. As St. Athanasius put it in his work on the Incarnation, because of death, God's handiwork is being undone. He sees his creatures made in his image, losing their relationships with each other and with him, losing their very thoughts, losing all their plans, their potential, everything, going back to the dust of the earth. Next, this isn't so much a reason why life is good, but it's an observation, because you know what? We all recognize these things. We all recognize this fact about life and death when we're not talking about theology. When we're being normal people, we do. There are three issues that show that generally Christians readily accept that life is good and death is not. 
Firstly, the last couple of decades has seen a real growth in awareness and concern about the social issue of suicide, where people get to the point where they think that being dead would be better than being alive. Secondly, for as long as Christians have been talking about it, which is centuries, Christians have had something to say about abortion and the value of the unborn. They have opposed abortion. Thirdly, although perhaps a bit more controversially, the issue of physician-assisted suicide or active euthanasia has come to the fore recently. And on all of these three issues, you'll find Christians saying that life has great value, that in life there is hope, that in life there are relationships, that in life there is potential, and that losing one's life is a very grave matter, pun intended. And when I see very conservative Christians scoffing at what I think Scripture teaches about hell, for example, saying, look, it's really not that big a deal to die. Look, I know quite well that they don't think that when it comes to suicidal people or the unborn or or the seriously ill. Then it becomes, oh my gosh, a life, someone made in God's image, what a loss, what a loss. There's a biblical way to counter this concern about religion that Christians are just looking for pie in the sky when you die, or more seriously expressed, that we are unconcerned about the reality of death. It's not true. It shouldn't be true. What is true is that we have hope beyond death. Yes, absolutely. But certainly not because death takes us to a better place. We have hope beyond death because we don't believe that we will stay that way. Right? It's not in being dead that anything good comes about. And truth be told, my first response to this concern about Christians and death and the beyond, this concern about what we believe, I think the right response is to press the issue back to the challenger, back to the person who doesn't believe and say, look, and I've said this before in in another episode, look, just go to a cemetery, take a breath. That's one fewer breath remaining. Look around when you're there at everyone who came before you, now buried here, and just genuinely ask yourself, if there was any chance that this didn't have to be the end, wouldn't you take it? Right, Turn that into an opportunity. But beyond that, that's just not how Scripture talks about life and death. Life is absolutely wonderfully good. And we should celebrate and cultivate all those things that make life possible. Relationships with each other and all their many and wonderful forms. Certainly our relationship with God. We must say with the psalmist, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Our potential for growth, for learning, for creativity and for work and so on. Death is not good in any way. Death takes away the things that life gives us. It is our enemy. It is God's enemy and it will be defeated. Our hope does not lie in what we will discover when we are dead. It's in what will be given to us when death is no more. And that's what I had to say in December 2017 at Marden Road Church in Hamilton. Incidentally, how does that work for you? Me uh, recording a message that I've that I've delivered at a church because I often do that. I often, well, often I, I occasionally speak at uh, the church that I go to, um, the Anglican Church in Johnsonville. Wellington, New Zealand. Let's face it, I haven't actually been recording many podcast episodes lately, so if I did this, um, at least there would be more material to download and listen to, if that interests you. So if it does, um, drop me a line, leave a note in the comments, 
and I'll do that. Um, but until next time, until next time I record whatever it is I record, this is Glenn Peoples saying, until then, and closing off another episode of... Say hello to my little friend!